All right, man, you may be seated. Welcome to Harvest. Uh, my name is Pastor Micah. So glad you're here worshiping with us today. And we're going to dive right into God's Word because we got a lot of work to do today. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. We are in Matthew chapter 6 right now. We've been in this series called uh, Upside Down Kingdom, walking our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and how he's teaching us to be citizens of his kingdom, uh, not just this earthly world and how oftentimes that makes things look a little upside down to the people around us. And, um, and so uh, we have this theme to this year of love the king and live for the kingdom, and that's, that's what we're going after, and uh, he's helping us do that through his sermon here. And so uh, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to start today. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those and follow along there. Um, so I, I hope that you already know this, but uh, coming up this week uh, is Thanksgiving. Um, if you didn't know that yet, you might want to get on the stick. You're probably a little behind at this point. Uh, but some of you, I know you're going to be cooking uh, for Thanksgiving uh, feast this year, and maybe this is the first time you've done that, or maybe you're going to try some new dishes. And so I found some things I thought might be helpful uh, for you this week as you move into Thanksgiving. Uh, here's some Thanksgiving cooking instructions uh, according to kindergartners. Uh, Russell said you cut the turkey up and put it in the oven for 10 minutes at 300 degrees. Put gravy on it and eat it. And then everyone gets salmonella. Um, Jeremy had a little bit better take. He said you buy the turkey, take the paper off, put it in the refrigerator, take it back out, cut it with a knife, make sure all the wires are out. I don't know what kind of turkey you're buying, but whatever you Make sure all the wires are out, the neck and the heart. Then you put it in a big pan and cook it for a half an hour at 80 degrees. Then you invite people over and eat. Alan here is a little bit more uh, old school. He says, first you shoot it. So we're having wild turkey for Thanksgiving this year. And then you cut it, and then you put it in the oven and cook it for 10 minutes at 20 degrees. Put it on plates, and then you eat it. So if you're a little worried about the turkey at this point, uh, maybe you want to try something else. So here's a pumpkin pie recipe from Christopher. Uh, first, you buy a pumpkin and smash it. Then when it's all done, you cook it in the oven for 12 minutes and 4 degrees, and you eat it. So if you can't find the canned pumpkin at the store, you know, just go grab your pumpkin off the front porch and just smash that puppy and put her right in the oven. You'll be good. Uh, apple pie. So maybe pumpkin's not your thing. I'm not a big pumpkin pie fan, but maybe apple is more your taste. Uh, Judy said, take some apples, mash them up, take some bread and make a pie with it, uh, get some dough and squish it, that's a technical cooking term there, um, shape the dough into a pie shape, put the apples in it and bake it at 9 degrees for 15 minutes. Uh, better yet, maybe you want some cranberry pie, um, put cranberry juice in it to start with, then you put in the berries and then you put in the dough, so the dough's on top of the and then you bake it, and then you eat it, Jordan said. So if you're a little worried about Thanksgiving dinner at this point, you can always go Andrew's route at his house, I guess. They eat pizza for Thanksgiving. He said, buy some dough and some cheese and pepperoni, and then you cook it for 10 hours at 5 degrees, and then you eat it. So, uh, or just order some emos. Like, I'm just, like, just saying, at this point, it might just be better to check out, right? Um, as Americans, we love Thanksgiving, don't we? Uh, it's a great holiday. Um, I did a little research. Did you know that there are 46 million turkeys cooked for Thanksgiving each year? 46 million turkeys. That's a lot of turkey, right? 
Um, not to mention all the sides and the fixings and the desserts and all that stuff to go along with it. Um, we, love, we love Thanksgiving, um, but hopefully you love it for more than just the food, right? For the family, for uh, the, maybe the football, maybe for, you know, checking your blessings and your gratitude for the year. Um, and so I, I don't mean to kill your Thanksgiving buzz as you're moving in Thanksgiving, but in God's providential sovereignty today, he has brought us to a passage in Matthew chapter 6, also on food, but kind of at the other end. Uh, today we're going to talk about fasting. Yeah, thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's about the response I was expecting. So um, it's kind of ironic, right? We're talking about fasting leading up to Thanksgiving week, but I think the good news is this. What we're going to see from Jesus' teaching here is that fasting, just like Thanksgiving, ultimately is not really about the food, right? Uh, what Jesus is going to show us here is that fasting isn't about food. It's about the Father. It's not about food, it's about drawing close to God the Father. And so uh, with that in mind, and uh, with everyone's um, trepidations and fears now on the table squarely as we move into fasting, look at verse 16 in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be see- that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, we've only got a couple of verses to deal with this morning, but it's a big topic. And so I'm just going to start with the, the question that I think is important as a foundation, which is what is fasting? Okay, that's our first point today. What is fasting? Jesus starts off and he says, when you fast, kind of assuming that we already know what it is and what it means. Because the Jews that he was talking to in this day, they were very familiar with fasting. Unfortunately, uh, today in the modern Christian church, especially in America, we're not that familiar with fasting. It's not real high on our to-do list when it comes to spiritual disciplines. And, um, and so when we're talking about fasting, it's important that we understand that fasting ties very closely to prayer. And if you remember last week, Jesus got, just got done teaching us about prayer. And so now he naturally moves into teaching us about fasting here on the backside of that. And although we don't really give a whole lot of time and attention to fasting in uh, the American church, fasting is actually found in the scripture more than 75 times uh, throughout scripture. There's instructions or examples of fasting. That is more than communion and baptism put together. But we don't ever seem to neglect those. Uh, But somehow we let fasting kind of off the radar a lot of times. And so today we're going to try to correct that a little bit. And uh, maybe you've never fasted before. Uh, Maybe you have, but you don't do it regularly. Maybe there's all these things and that's okay. But we're just going to try to learn from God's word today what it is and how we can uh, come to it as as believers. So let me get a a definition on the table to start with. Here's a definition for fasting. Biblical fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Right? All the pieces of that definition are super important. So first of all, biblical fasting, you have to be a Christian to do it. Okay? This has to be something where you have a relationship with Jesus and you're pursuing him in worship through fasting. That starts with faith in Jesus. So a Christian's voluntary abstinence, right? so it's something that you're choosing to do, someone can't force it upon you, from food for spiritual purposes. That last part is important too. The reason we fast is just as important as the fasting. There needs to be a spiritual purpose in it. And so 
what we see that this reality all throughout the Old Testament and even the New Testament, even Jesus himself uh, is an example of fasting as we're going to see here in a little bit. And so with all that background, we need to kind of figure out what are the different types of fasting that we see in the Bible. So I'm going to give you a list here of types of biblical fasting that we see. Number one, uh, I would just call it normal fasting. The normal kind of mainstream type of fasting in the Bible is abstaining from food, but still drinking water and sometimes like juice, like fruit juices or something like that, okay? So kind of the normal primary mode of fasting is no food, just water, maybe a little juice. You tracking there? Okay. Number two, the next type is partial fasting. Partial fasting is abstaining from some food or restricting your diet in a certain way. So you're not eating certain types of food. An example of that would be like in Daniel where him and his friends, uh, when they're put in captivity, uh, decide we're not going to eat the king's food. We're only going to eat vegetables and water and that thing. That's a partial type of fast. They were restricting their diet. The third type of fasting is absolute fasting. Uh, this is no foods or liquids. Nothing. Uh, this is an extreme type of fasting. And honestly, you really can't do this for more than about three days because uh, your body has to have water, right? And so you have to be very careful with this, but it is found in the Bible that there was some occasions for absolute fasting. So those are kind of the three categories. But then we also see throughout the Bible that there is uh, corporate fasting and private fasting. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, there's corporate and private. They're both in the scripture. Um, and the, the, whether the fast should be corporate, meaning a whole group of people like a church or a nation or a, you know, a people group, or private just between you and the Lord, really depends on the purpose of the fast. If you're fasting about something that's private, that's just between you and the Lord, then that should be a private fast. If you're fasting for something that is involving a whole group of people, then that could be an occasion for a corporate type of fasting. Um, and, but in this text, we're going to see that Jesus is specifically addressing the private fasting type that we're uh, fasting here, not necessarily the corporate. Uh, a couple other things. It, it can be either regular or occasional. Most of the examples in the Bible are occasional fasting, meaning they did them for specific circumstances. So this is happening, so we need to fast to deal with this or whatever. Um, it wasn't as so they were fasting on an ongoing basis. The only regular fast in the Old Testament that they were required to do was a yearly fast on the Day of Atonement. Um, and it was just one day on that particular, that there was no other prescribed regular fasting, but we see regular fasting in the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, like the Pharisees and stuff, and then also even in the uh, Christian leaders throughout church history. So if you go back and you study the early church fathers or even other uh, major leaders and pastors throughout our church history, you'll see several of them that they would fast two days a week or three days a week on a regular basis all the time uh, just to stay connected to and close to the Lord. So both of those are okay as long as the regular fasting is for a purpose and not just a ritual. Right? We're not just doing it to check a box and show God how holy we are. There's a purpose behind it. And then the last thing, the question I get a lot about fasting is the length. How long are we supposed to fast? Well, there's all types of varying lengths in God's word. You have everything from a part of a day to, a, to one day to three days to seven days to 14 days to 21 days all the way up to 40 days. So those are all examples of different lengths of fasting that we find in God's word. And so that kind of gives you the, the general picture of this is what biblical fasting is. Now, a common question I oftentimes get from people when we start talking about fasting is, well, can't you fast from things other than food, 
right? Could I, can I do like a, a social media fast or a fast from my phone or a fast from talking, like taking like a, like a vow of silence kind of thing or fasting from people and interacting with others and just kind of being secluded or fasting from sleep? Like, you know, there are other things I can fast from besides just food. And my answer to that would be yes. I wouldn't say it's wrong to fast from those things, but it's interesting to me that the Bible only ever talks about fasting in the area of food. That's the example the Bible uses. That's what God asks of his people when this is done. And so my question to, to that person or to you, if you were thinking along those lines, would be you need to assess why you would change it. Why would you change it from food to something else? Like you have to have a reason if you're going to go outside of what the Bible has shown us. I'm not saying that it would be wrong, but um, so here's some questions to think of along those lines that, that I was wrestling with this week. Um, First of all, why do you think the Bible uses food as the only form of fasting? I think it's because it's a primary need in our lives. Right? We can't live without food. Right? We need it. We're, we're dependent upon it. And part of fasting is getting myself off of dependence on other things and focusing my dependence on the Lord. Right? So by abstaining from food that I need, it forces me to need God more in that time. Right? I don't need my cell phone or Facebook or whatever, right? Like giving up a want, fasting from a want is not the same thing as fasting from a need. Are you tracking? All right, so that's the first thing. Number two, uh, what is the purpose? Why are you fasting? Why are you wanting to fast from a phone or from social media? Most of the time what I hear from people is, well, it's just, you know, it's getting in my way of spending time with the Lord and I'm on it so much and I'm giving so much time to that and it's distracting me. Okay, that's fine. But fasting is not meant to be a reset button on your lack of self-control. Can we, can we just be clear this morning? Like, the purpose of fasting is not for me to try to have a quick reset because I can't control my habits using certain things. If that's really a problem in your life and that thing is blocking your relationship with the Lord, then you probably need some more permanent change in the way you interact with that thing instead of a temporary reset, hoping that's going to somehow correct what's going on in your heart in regards to that issue. Is that clear? The third and final question I would ask along those lines is, why do something different than what the Bible says? I think if we really press into, why do I wanna fast from this thing instead of from food, most of the time, what, if we really press in, what our heart is saying is, well, you know, fasting from food, that's hard. <laughs> like, like, that's really sacrificial. Like, that's really hard to do. I don't really wanna give that up. So I'll fast from something that's a little bit easier than fasting from the food thing which at some point then we're losing the whole point of the sacrifice in it, okay? So I'm not saying those other things are gonna say wrong, I'm just saying really need to check your heart on why you would want to do that instead of fasting from food as the Bible lays out, okay? So that's kind of an introduction to fasting. Um, I was reading in a book this week uh, about Jerry Falwell, who was a pastor um, in the last century here in America that was pretty influential. Back in 1971, he actually started a, a school along with his church called Liberty University. It's out in Virginia. Probably many of you have heard of that at this point. They've gotten pretty large. It grew very rapidly the first 25 years that it was in existence so much they were having to build new buildings to keep up with the growth of the student body like every year. Um, and there was one point in that growth season where some financial contributions kind of stopped coming in and they ended up getting into a big financial debt, 
hole with all the construction going on and not having the funds coming in to cover it, and so much debt that the accreditation board actually threatened to remove their accreditation as a university because of the amount of debt that they had amassed in construction. And, um, and so I was reading this, and Falwell said, when all this happened, Falwell said, with this crisis, I had to fast and fast seriously. And so it, he felt like he was led by the Lord to go into a 40-day fast for a miraculous financial provision from the Lord to deal with this uh, issue that the university had. And so he starts this 40-day fast, but it did not go quite as he planned. Uh, here was his quote. He said, I kept asking God for money, but he impressed upon my heart that I needed to get close to him, to listen to him, to trust him. And when I asked for money, God told me to stop asking for money, but to learn to know him better. So he did that for 40 days. He just fasted and just tried to push into the Lord. And he said, at the end of 40 days, Falwell had learned much about the Lord and about his relationship and about his life with the Lord, but he had no answer on the financial issue. See, Falwell had to learn that in the fasting that God wasn't an ATM and fasting wasn't his debit card to get from God what he wanted or needed in the moment. Fasting was about getting God, getting close to him, and then letting him do whatever he wanted to do. So he comes off this 40-day fast, and he's back on his regular diet and routine for like 25 days, and he finally feels like in his prayer time that God is now saying, all right, now you can ask for money. So he goes on a second 40-day fast, fast for 40 days, and by the end of the 40 days, they saw miraculous financial contributions coming to the university, erasing the entire debt, getting them back in the financial health for the university, and they extended their accreditation for years to come after that. After this whole experience of two 40-day fasts in a matter of 100 days, some, one of the guys at the university was talking to Falwell about his experience, and Falwell wouldn't say anything about himself. He wouldn't say anything about really the, the, the nuances of the experience, but here's what he did say. Fasting is one of the great privileges of the Christian life. It is an act of self-denial that greatly enhances the power of our prayers. That is the heart of fasting. The heart of fasting is intentional pursuit of God's face, not just his favor. The heart of fasting, listen to this, is the intentional pursuit of God's face, his presence, being with him, not just his favor on my life or his favor to meet a need that I happen to have in the moment. So that's biblical fasting, which then leads us, I think, to the next logical question that many of you may be asking, which is point number two, why would I do that? (laughs) Like that sounds really hard and sacrificial and uncomfortable and like why would I want to put myself through that? Um, Well, first of all, in the text here, Jesus says twice in the matter of three verses, when you fast, right? Not if you fast, not if you want to fast. It's not a suggestion here. He's assuming that his believers, his followers are going to fast. Just like in the last passages, he assumed that we were going to pray and he assumed that we were going to give. These are expectations that Jesus has of his followers. And so the bigger question is, why does Jesus call us to do this, right? Why, not why would I want to, but why does Jesus want me to? So as I said earlier, the purpose of fasting is to draw closer to God. Let me illustrate that for you with scripture. 
In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus actually has another section where he talks about fasting. Listen to this, Matthew 9, 14. Then the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to him saying, why do we, John's disciples, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So they're playing the, the like religious comparison game here, right? Like, man, look at us. I'm like, we're doing the fasting thing. We're doing the holy thing. Your disciples are just sitting around eating stuff in their faces. Like, what's the deal with that, Jesus? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus, when he talks about the bridegroom, obviously he's talking about himself. He's like, I'm right here. Like, they're in my presence right now. They don't need to fast. Because the reason you fast is not to be religious or holy. It's to get into the presence of God. He says, there will be a day when I'm gone. And then, then my people will fast. Fasting is a physical limitation that brings us into a spiritual reality. It's about it's about constraining our body so that we can focus on our Lord until the day he returns. Jesus expects it from us. So that's the first major reason. But let me just give you some other things here. This is kind of a long list, so I'm going to go kind of fast. You can write down the, the purpose of each one of these and maybe just drop the scriptures next to it, and you can go back and look at them some later. But I went throughout the, I went throughout the entire Bible and looked up 10 ways that fasting draws me closer to God. If the whole point of fasting is to get me closer to God, get me in the presence of God, here's 10 ways that that becomes reality as I fast. And these 10 ways can serve as purposes for fasting. Right? Like this is what I'm pursuing through fasting. Number one is repentance. Repentance, returning to God. When there's sin in my heart, when there's sin in my life, sin separates me from God. We talked about that this summer, right? Sin separates me from God. And so if I want to get more into his presence, the first thing I have to do in my fasting is I have to repent and get my heart clean. 1 Samuel 7, 6, the Israelites said, we have sinned against the Lord. And then they went into a time of repentance to get back into his presence. One of the greatest examples is Jonah chapter three, where the entire city of Nineveh is called to repentance, and the king says, yes, do it. The entire city repents and, and fasts in their repentance, and God relents and doesn't destroy the city. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, it says this. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. He's talking there about sin. Return from your sin. And that passage goes on to say that God will see and forgive and give grace and love to his people when they repent with fasting. This should be a first step back to God when sin is separating me. And this, my friends, is the heart of the gospel, right? That God looked down and he saw that we were broken and we were desperate and we were needing and frail in our sinfulness. He said, I'm gonna help. And he sent Jesus, his son, to come to live a perfect life and then to die a sinner's death. To pay for your sin. To pay for my sin to be our substitute. And then he went into the grave and he rose three days later to prove that he was God and to come and say, listen, you have an option now. There's a way out. 
There's a door. You can get back to God. You don't have to stay in this state of separation. If you'll repent and return to me, I will forgive your sins and I will cover you in grace and I will cleanse your heart and you will be a new creation. But even those of us who have accepted Christ, and if, you, if you're here today and you haven't yet believed in Christ for salvation, man, I urge you to do that today. Don't go another day in the darkness and in, and in the brokenness and in the desperation of trying to do it on your own. But even those of us who have trusted in Christ, we know that that doesn't make us perfect. We know that we still sin. We still mess up. We still have things that we need to repent of. And as we live lives of continual repentance before the Lord, one of the tools that we have to get to repentance and to get us closer to God once again on the other side of sin is fasting. Second reason, these are gonna come faster now. Number two is humility. Fasting is meant to be an act of humility before God Almighty. When I abstain from food, I'm acknowledging my own frailty and my limitations, and I'm, and I'm acknowledging God's greatness and sovereignty and power over all things, and I'm trusting on him to sustain me when food can't. I found two interesting contrasts in this one. You have, first of all, the wicked King Ahab. He was like one of the worst kings in all of Israel's history. And he was wretched, and he was a rebellious, and he was against God almost his entire kingship. But there was one point where he was so broken, and he was so down that he finally relented. And it says that in, in 1 Kings 21, in desperation, he humbled himself before God and fasted, and it saved the nation of Israel. And that's what happens when a wicked king does it. I also found an example of King David perhaps the most godly king in all of Israel's history. In Psalm 35, 13, he says, in worship, he humbled himself before God through fasting. Humility is not just when we mess up. Humility is like all the time before the Lord. Because in James 4, 6, God sa it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want more grace in my life. A great way to get more humble before the Lord is through fasting. Number three is worship. One of the purposes of fasting is just to express worship and adoration to the Lord. We're coming up on the Christmas season, and in Luke chapter two, when Jesus' parents are taking him in to be dedicated at the temple, we encounter this woman named Anna, who's kind of lifted up as this beacon of a worshiper who has been in the temple day and night, it says, worshiping and fasting before the Lord. Her fasting was an act of worship and adoration to God. It shows that our primary focus is on God and not of the things of this world. Philippians 3.19, Paul writes this. He says, they're, talking about unbelievers, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glor they glory in, the, in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Sometimes we get our minds set on earthly things most of all, our belly. And we start to worship things more than we're worshiping God, and fasting is a great way to redirect that worship to where it should be. Number four is grief. A very common thing that we see, especially in the Old Testament, is that people would fast when they were in grief, when they lost a loved one, when they were struggling through some major illness, when something was going wrong in their life, when they were hurting, when they were in need, they fasted 
out of their grief. Judges uh, chapter 20, the Israelites fasted over the death of 40,000 of their Israelite brothers who had died in battle. 2 Samuel 1, David and his men, his mighty men, fasted when they heard about the death of King Saul. If you remember the story, at that point in history, King Saul was his enemy. He was trying to kill David, but he was still God's king. And when David heard it, in his grief, he fasted. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Fasting is a great way to express grief. The next one is alignment. Fasting aligns my heart with God's heart. It sharpens my prayer life to get into the presence of God. In Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah hears about Jerusalem's, the walls are torn down and it's in disarray and it's just destroyed. And he is so grieved over the state of Jerusalem that he starts praying and fasting before the Lord so that God could align his heart to God's heart and send Nehemiah back to fix it. In Daniel chapter 9, same thing. Daniel is reading God's word and he's upset because he knows the Israelites are separated from God. They're in exile and he reads in God's word that God promises to bring them back if they will pray and repent. And so David starts fasting and praying on behalf of Israel to get them back into the presence of God and God aligns his heart and uses him to be that person that prays them back. See, fasting doesn't actually change God's hearing. God hears us all the time. You understand that? Like, it doesn't change him at all. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change his hearing, but it does change our heart in the praying. And it aligns us with who he is and what he wants. The next reason is dedication. We see a lot of times in those scriptures that people will fast when they are dedicating themselves to the work of the Lord. So if God's calling them to do something, they'll take a time of fasting to dedicate their hearts and dedicate their lives as they come into the presence, or into the, I'm sorry, to the plan of working for the Lord. Jesus himself is a great example of this. Matthew chapter four. Jesus goes out and he fasts for 40 days in the wilderness before he starts his public ministry to prepare his heart, to prepare, to make sure that he was dedicating himself to the Lord. See, When you get in ministry, whether it's vocational ministry or volunteer ministry, we have a lot of volunteers here at our church. When you agree and you decide to step into ministry, it puts a huge target on your back. And Satan loves to attack those who are serving the Lord. And when I'm fasting, it draws me closer to God, and I need to be as close to God as I can when I'm serving him in that capacity. The next reason is wisdom. Uh, to seek guidance, to seek direction. All throughout the Old Testament, leaders and kings would pray and fast before they went into battle to find out if they were indeed supposed to go or not go. And a lot of times when they didn't do it and they went in, they, d- they failed miserably. And when they would fast and wait for the Lord to tell them what to do and give them guidance, they found victory. In the New Testament, Acts 13, the Antioch church prayed and fasted before installing, I'm sorry, uh, Yeah, prayed and fasted to discern God's will for sending out Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. As Paul and Barnabas are on that first missionary journey, we hear about them going through from town to town, church to church that they had planted, going back on their way back, and they stopped at each one, and they prayed and fasted to install elders in that local church for ministry. I found this quote by Donald Whitney in his chapter on fasting in his book on spiritual disciplines. He says, fasting does not ensure the certainty of receiving clear guidance from God But rightly practiced, it does make us more receptive to the one who loves to guide us. 
very rarely are we changing God. But through prayer, through fasting, God is constantly changing us. The next reason is protection. Sometimes we need to fast for protection, for deliverance and from trials and temptations and just asking the Lord to, to help us in the midst of that. Second Chronicles 20, uh, King Jehoshaphat uh, leads the entire nation of Judah to pray and to fast that God would protect them from the attackers that were coming against them. And God did. He stepped in and he defeated the approaching army and saved them. Esther 4 uh, Queen Esther asked all the Jewish people to fast on her behalf as she went in to seek King Xerxes for a reprieve from the death of the Jewish people. Psalm 109, again, David prayed and fasted for relief from his own personal enemies and attacks. So it's not even, it doesn't even always have to be a corporate thing. It's not always a big thing. Sometimes it's just like personal things that are going on in my heart, in my life, that I'm struggling with it. I'm getting attacked through. Fasting is one of the best and should be one of the, our first responses to pain and suffering and persecution. And, and it'll help us, keep us from moving to sinful responses instead. The next one is intercession. Sometimes we need to fast on behalf of others, right? Fast on behalf of someone else who is struggling with sin or needs help or, or, just, or just fasting for revival on behalf of our church or our nation, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses fasted for 40 days so that God would spare Israel after their worship of the golden calf. He comes down, he sees them worshiping the false god, and God's just going to strike them all. He's like, I'll just kill all these guys, and I'll just start over with you, Moses. And Moses starts praying and fasting and saves the entire nation as he's fasting on their behalf. 1 Samuel 20, I thought this one was really interesting. Jonathan, Saul's son, fasted over the sinful attacks of his father against his friend David. So he's fasting not only for the sin of his father, but for the help of his friend, all through intercession. Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We can intercede on behalf of our country, on behalf of our, our leaders, on behalf of our churches. Like We don't have to just always complain and and post rants on Facebook, like we can actually do something with power in it as we fast and pray. Many of the, if you go back and you study church history, many, many of the revivals that broke out both in this nation and across the world started with one or more people fasting and praying for revival in the land. The last one I'll give you is just supernatural. Sometimes you need to fast when you need a miracle right? When you need God to show up and do what only God can do. It's a great time for fasting. All these examples I've given you, military victories, saving the nation through Moses and Esther, restoring the nation through Daniel and Nehemiah, all of this are examples of God doing miraculous things as people fasted. But it's even true on an individual level. A great one is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We find that Hannah is barren. She can't have kids. She's tried and tried and tried and can't have kids. And so she prayed and she fasted for a son. Not only did God give her one, he gave her multiple children as a result of her seeking him for what only God could do. Our God is a God of the supernatural. And when we draw closer to him, we get a front row seat 
to seeing God do amazing things. But we have to be willing to get down, humble, and fast, and pray, and seek the Lord. Along with uh, many of you, I experienced this firsthand in the early days of our church. Um, this, uh, before we got into church plan, I had tried fasting a couple times, like in, you know, like in seminary and stuff, just to say I, I'd never done it before. So I just, I'm going to try it and just see what it was like. And I had a couple experiences, but they weren't like, you know, you know blow your socks off or anything. It was just kind of normal stuff because I didn't really have a purpose. I was just doing it to try it. But as we got into church planning, um, I found myself increasingly aware that this was something that would only happen if the Lord did it. This is the, I tell people oftentimes the church plan was the first thing that I ever tried to do, that I couldn't just work harder and do more and do longer hours and keep going and make it work. I had to have the Lord in it. We had to have the Lord in it. And so I, I found myself just being broken and God was just tearing me down and, 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 and crushing my dreams and my hopes and my thoughts in the midst of all of it, saying, you can't have that until you have me. And so I just, I was, I was, every day I was on my knees, I was laying prostrate on the floor, I was praying, just seeking the Lord, praying and praying, God move, God move, God do something, do something here, show up. And at one point he was like, you need to do more. I'm like, more, what else do you want me to do? <laughs> this is like hours a day, like praying, like what else do you want me to do? The more was fasting. And so I started fasting like one day a week. And then eventually I started doing two days a week. And then I'd do two or three days at a time. And then eventually I invited our core group of people to start doing that with me. And so we would, we would pick a day and we would fast all day long. And then we would come together in my basement that night and we would get down on the floor and we would just pray and pray and pray. Then everybody would go to Culver's. Um, <laughs> but this... This is what it is. There needs to be a purpose in it, right? There comes a point where we get it, and we're like, there's no other way that this is gonna happen without you, and it gets us closer to him. But all, through all of that, long before God moved in the situation, he moved in my heart. He moved in our hearts to draw us in to break us, to bring us that place of dependence on him. I needed to fast not to get God to fix my problem and my circumstance. I needed to fast to get more of God and less of me. And that's what all these reasons are doing. You notice all 10 of those were focused on him and not on you? Why fast? To experience more of God and his goodness to experience more of God and his goodness. So the last point I want to lay before you today is how do I fast biblically? Now that you see what it is and you see why it's important, let's look at Jesus' instructions here in Matthew chapter six about how to do that. The first step in fasting biblically is to have a biblical purpose. All right? A biblical purpose means that we have a heart for God, not for self and not for men. Notice Jesus says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who are seen by others, for they have received their reward. He's like, don't do it where you're making a big scene out of it and you're making a, you're making a big show out of it so other people can see it and you get the attention. He's like, you can't do it for you know, selfish motives and empty ritual. You have to do it for a spiritual purpose. 
The heart has to be right. It all starts with the heart, not with the behaviors. That's been Jesus' theme throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, hasn't it? Not the behaviors, the heart, the heart, the heart. So if you're going to fast biblically, you have to start with the heart. Why are you doing it? What's the purpose? Is it focused on the Lord? Then you also have to have a biblical process, and Jesus kind of walks us through some stuff here. First step in the biblical process is don't flaunt it, all right? He's like, don't look all gloomy. Don't disfigure your faces. Like, they would put, like, ash on their heads and stuff to make it, like, look like they were, like, you know, like, worse off than they were. He's like, don't look sick and hungry and just anoint your head and wash your face, which for us basically means, like, take a shower and put some deodorant on and, like, do your normal thing, right? Like, don't try to look all different. Like, just make it normal. Like, act like yourself and just be in your normal routine so you're not making a scene out of your fasting. Don't flaunt it. Step number two, um, it needs to be on a need-to-know basis. Fasting is on a need-to-know basis. He says, not to be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that you can't, that nobody can know that I'm fasting. Right? Like, like this is like top secret 007 fasting. Like, nobody can know. Right? Like, no, it's a need-to-know basis. Right? If I'm fasting, my wife needs to know why I'm not showing up to the dinner table. Right? Like, that would be a weird thing, right? So there's some people who need to know, right? And when you're doing a corporate fast, that just means that the need-to-know circle enlarges a little bit, all right? So if I'm fasting with our church, we're all fasting together, then, like, we can all know because we're all doing it together. That's a need-to-know basis, right? But it doesn't mean we have to go out and be talking to everybody outside the church about it, right? We can just do it with the Lord. So fasting's on a need-to-know basis. And then the third thing, focus on God not food, right? The whole point of fasting is to focus on God, not food. He says, if you fast for the Father, the Father who sees in secret, God knows. He sees you. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knows what's going on in your life. You don't have to make a big scene. He sees it. And if I'm using fasting as another tool to get closer to God, then he's going to bless that. I can focus on him. It doesn't have to be about the food. Make it about the ends, not about the means, right? Don't focus on what you're giving up and all the, just focus on the Lord and he'll fill you up. So with that in mind, I know some of you have probably never done this. For some of you, this is like your mind's blown right now because like this has never even been on your radar, right? I'm gonna give you five, real quick, real fast here, five practical steps for biblical fasting. Practical guide to biblical fasting right here. Right? So if you're wanting to try this, you've never done it, how do I step into this, Michael? What do I do? Here's five things you need to think about. Number one, make a plan. The plan needs to talk about the type of fast, right? So are you gonna do a, a normal, partial, absolute? Like what kind of fast are you gonna do? You need to figure out the length of the fast. If you've never done it before, don't go straight for 40, okay? Like, that's not a good play, like, okay? Like, start small and build your way up. Like, most people, even in their normal routine, can do a one to three day fast, okay? So start something like that, pick out a length of time, and then most of all in your plan, you need to have the purpose. Why are you doing it? Why are you fasting? Go back to that list I gave you of the 10 things, right, that draw you closer to God through fasting. Which one of those do you need in your life? that you can employ as a purpose for your fasting. Make a plan. Number two, spiritually prepare. Before you start fasting, you need to repent 
of all known sin. If the whole purpose of fasting is to draw you closer to God, that can't happen if there's sin in your life. So first you have to spiritually prepare to step into the fast by repenting and getting your heart right with the Lord. The third thing is physically prepare. Okay? Um, the best thing you can do is start weaning yourself down on the food intake the day or two before. Okay? Don't like go gorge yourself at White Castle and then go cold turkey the next day. That's going to go really bad. Okay? Like, just trust me, that's not a good plan. Kind of wean yourself down. So you're physically preparing your body. Also on the physical side, you need to think about any health things, medications or conditions that you might have. Talk to your doctor if you're concerned with a medical condition. Figure out what's the best way for you to do this and still keep yourself safe. So physically prepared. Number four, you need to shift your time. You need to make a plan to be less busy while you're fasting so that you can shift your time away from busyness and towards the Lord, right? I need to be spending more time with God. That's the whole point, I'm getting closer to him. So I need to shift my time away from busyness and towards the Lord. And then the fifth thing, just a couple of general wisdom things. Um, when you're fasting, do less physically demanding activity, right? Um, don't like double your CrossFit regimen whenever you're fasting, that's not a good play, right? Like do less, um, drink lots of water, if you're doing a normal fast or a partial fast, drink lots of water. Um, also, be close to a facility more often, okay? Because um, as you're drinking more water, that's going to create some things happening. Um, expect to encounter mild headaches and joint pain the first day or two. That's pretty common. As your body's starting to adjust to the amount of food intake, um, that will happen. So just so be aware of that. Um, and then plan to come out of the fast slowly, right? Again, you don't want to go from cold turkey to like stuffing yourself that, day, that, that night or the next day, right? Like kind of come out of it gradually so that your body can adjust and it, it'll go well for you. So that's just kind of some practical tips. So, um, so I know many of you are probably kind of getting nervous right now because um, you're like, all right, so what's he getting ready to do? Is he getting ready to send down like some big ultimatum, like whole church, fasting 40 days, no Thanksgiving for you. Like that's, I'm not going there. Okay, we're not going to do that. Um, they would actually fly in the face of Jesus' whole point here, right? Which is, you're doing it for the Lord, for a reason between you and him. Um, the real question I think I would ask at this point is not telling you when or how to do this, but why do we get so nervous about it? Why do we get that little pit when we start thinking about actually doing a fast in our stomach? Um, because I think it's interestingly enough, we oftentimes will miss meals for other reasons, right? Like you're having a big shopping day and you just can't quite get a break in the action to grab lunch or, you know, you're, you're out doing some recreation task and you forget to do that or you're working so hard and you're so busy at work, you're just cranking through the stuff and you miss a meal or even dieting for the sake of looking different. We'll skip lots of meals to make our body look different. But we don't want to skip meals to draw closer to God. That really points to what we're worshiping in our lives. If I'm willing to give up something and sacrifice for this over here, if I'm not willing to sacrifice that same thing to be closer to the Lord, that's a worship problem. Right? So I need, again, where's my heart and how am I pushing in and how am I getting with the Lord on these things? Biblical fasting is about worshiping and loving God more than it's about anything else. Fasting isn't about your appetite for food. 
but your appetite for God. Fasting isn't about your appetite for food, but rather your appetite for God. How much of him do you want in your life? Fasting isn't about food, it's about the Father. That's where we started, right? So, so a couple things as you're kind of processing today. If you've never done this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never done this before, try it. Pick a, pick a day, pick a purpose, pick a, like, and just give it a shot. Just try it. You'll be amazed, I think, at what happens. If you're here today, maybe you've tried it in the past and it didn't go so well. Maybe it was because you didn't have a clear understanding of what it was and how to do it and everything we've went over today. So maybe you need to try it again now with a biblical foundation for what you're doing and see how that works for you. If you have done it before, maybe you don't do it regularly or whatever, um, maybe it's time to do it again. Maybe it's time to get a new, fresh encounter with the Lord for something that's going on in your life, something that you need to hear from the Lord on, something that you need to get his guidance or wisdom or protection or blessing. You can seek more of him through fasting that way. Man, here at Harvest, we talk a lot about being a vertical church, right? Us and the Lord, right? Not so much the horizontal, but vertical. And we desire for every person to be passionately connected to God. If that's your desire, if that's the desire of your heart to be closer to him, you need to use every tool that God puts at your disposal to do that. Corporate worship, right? A gospel community in a small group. If you're not in a small group yet, you need to be in that. You need to be in his word. You need to be on your knees praying. Every tool, and one of those tools includes fasting. So I want you to stand with me now as we close today. I'm gonna pray over us that God would speak to our hearts, that his spirit would come and lead us each individually on what his heart would be, what his call or desire would be for us in this area of fasting. And the first step of being open to something like this, I think it's just opening your heart. And so I just wanna do something that's not, it's not like super weird or anything, all right, just go with me as a symbol to the Lord that our hearts are open and we're willing to hear and receive what he wants to say to us about fasting. As I pray, I want you to just take your hands and just hold them out in front of you like this and just open your hands. Just as a sign to the Lord, like my heart's open, my life's open, I'm here for you. You can do whatever you want in my life when it comes to this issue of fasting. Just show me, just teach me, Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Father, we are here before you, open hearts, open lives, Lord, just asking you to come and to speak to us. Lord, we've heard a lot from your word today. We've heard a lot of instruction and, and, and guidance on what it means to fast and to do it right, to do it well in the way that honors you. Now we need to hear from you, Lord, from your spirit. How would you have us implore this spiritual discipline into our lives? Lord, how can we encounter this in a way that will not only bring glory to you, but will be life-changing for us. Speak to us now. We want to hear from you, Lord. Do whatever you want to do through this today in our hearts, in our lives, in our families. We pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.